Turn with me to Psalm 3, Psalm 3, and uh, we're just going to continue uh, dealing with this uh, subject of, of David fleeing from Absalom and uh, saying some things that I pray will be a help to you and an encouragement to you. And uh, we have been walking through the Psalms uh, for close to two years now uh, as a church on Wednesday evenings. And so if you have not been able to be a part of that, I encourage you to uh, do so. And uh, we have uh, taken a break from uh, the early Psalms, if you would. We made it up to uh, in the Psalm 50s and uh, have crossed over into Psalm 119. We'll continue walking through Psalm 119 for a little while, then cross on back. Uh, But we have... Uh, come to Psalm 3 before, Uh, but in my own reading, I was reminded of some things and encouraged about a couple of statements that are found in this psalm here that I want to encourage you uh, concerning as well. Psalm 1, if you were to go and you were to study the psalms, you'll find that Psalm 1, as we made reference to a couple of weeks ago, starts out dealing with this subject of being blessed. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And Psalm 1 is one of of tranquility as way it's been uh, described before. That word tranquility is is the subject of of quality or state of being calm. And uh, it starts off in a calm manner, if you would. Blessed is the man. It doesn't start off in dealing harshly or doesn't start off in such a way where immediately you see one who's on the run or one who is going through trouble or one who is battling a difficult situation. It just puts your mind at ease as it says, hey, let's start this off in a pleasant manner. If you want to be blessed, that state of being calm. If you were to continue in verse number or chapter or Psalm number two, it begins to deal with hostility. So it goes from man, I mean, encouraging, blessed is the man to notice the very first words that are found In verse 1 of Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage? I mean, if there's ever a drastic difference in Psalms, those are the two. And this word hostility means an act of warfare, unfriendliness, or opposition. And then you come to Psalm 3, and Psalm 3 speaks of stability, if you would. It speaks of the, the state of being stable, of being firm, of being solid. And so notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. It says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I waked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me. O oh, my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. You come to this portion of scripture here, and you're reminded of some things in the early portion of this scripture. As you see in verses 1 and 2, it begins to deal with the, the, the trouble that he is facing. As he says, how are they increased that trouble me? In Psalm 3 here, you see some key words that are found in these verses. The key words such as the word shield. This word shield is a reference to God's protection, if you would, for his people. If you were to go and you were to study God's protection in Scripture, you'll find that there are many verses. One that we're all familiar with is 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse number 7, casting all your care upon him. 
for he careth for you. You know, the Lord desires that you would bring those burdens, those, those troubles, those trials, those, those situations that you just can't handle yourself to him because he cares for you. And you begin to see that word shield and it begins to speak of that protective care, if you would. The Lord's care for his people. As you continue to go down, you begin to see in verse number 3, not only that shield being made reference of, that, st- that statement, shield for me, but he says, my glory. That word glory speaks of, it uh, su- suggests the Shekinah cloud, if you would, the, the glory of the Lord, that, that, that covering of the people of God. Now in scripture you come to Exodus chapter number 40 and you see it made reference to multiple times in scripture. If you continue reading down in verse number 3, not only my glory, but he says, and the lifter up of mine head. That word lifter, it speaks of very simply this one truth, that God is a God of victory. You find in scripture where God lost a battle. You ain't going to. It's impossible. He cannot. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a, a child of God, we made reference on this past Wednesday, if you were to go through your life and you might be discouraged, you might be facing something, if you were to go all the way to the back of the book of the Bible, you'll find in the book of Revelation that very simply this truth, you are a victor. As a child of God, you have nothing to, to worry about. You have nothing to be upset about any longer concerning your eternity if you've settled it in Jesus Christ alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 50, uh, 15, verse 57, again, it says at the very end, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Scripture here, you'll find in Psalm number 3 that as we come to this portion of Scripture, there are some things that we made reference to that you might be reminded of again tonight that we made reference to this morning. But I want to encourage you and drive home this thought this evening that in all of our lives, we can always run to the Lord as he does exactly right here. He starts off and he deals with this one simple thought, Lord. In in Psalm 63, we, we went and we began to deal with that statement, oh, thou art my God. Man, what a comforting thought. What a comforting reality that, hey, there's there's some people that we cannot run to. There are some people who will not pick up the phone. But there's never a time that you're going to run to the Lord where he's not willing to listen. He's not already listening. He's not already aware of the situation. And so he runs to the Lord here. Notice with me as we jump right into it. Notice David's trial here. David's trial is found in verses 1 and 2. As the Bible says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. In verse number one, you begin to see that David is feeling betrayed, if you would. Now, I don't know by hands raised this evening, but if I were to ask you if there's ever been a time where you felt betrayed, I would imagine some of you might have your hands slip up and you say, oh, yeah, I've been in moments where I felt as though a a friend betrayed me or a, a family member betrayed me or someone betrayed me. And you might have felt that before. David has found himself in a situation where he feels betrayed as he says that. How are they increased that trouble me? We begin to sense the betrayal here. In 2 Samuel, laying the foundation of where we are seeing David writing from him and the situation he's found himself in. Verse number 12, it says, And Absalom sent for Hithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. I mean, the increase is great. In 2 Samuel 16, verse 15, And Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. 
In 2 Samuel 17, 1, Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. Now go back with me for just a moment. As, you, if you, as you're listening, notice the beginning of 2 Samuel 15, verse number 12, and then I'm going to read 2 Samuel 17, 1 again. In 2 Samuel 17, 1, at the very end, you see that Ahithophel says this, And I will arise and pursue after David this night. Chapter 15, verse 12 says this, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor. You see right before your eyes as you walk through 2 Samuel the betrayal that he is facing. As he is finding himself being betrayed by his counselor, the one who he never probably thought would do such a thing, he has found himself not only betrayed by him, but notice in 2 Samuel 17.1 that he says, Let me now choose out 12,000 men. It gives you a little perspective as you come back to Psalm 3, verse number 1. How are they increased that trouble me? I mean, that increase is great. Many are they that rise up against me. David's trial was one uh, that was personal, if you would. Uh, David's trial that he is facing here, he is seeing the increase right before his eyes. He is beginning to see, if you would, look with me, the enemies are increasing. There are times in the, in the work of the Lord where when you're trying to do something great for God, that all of a sudden there are seasons where enemies begin to pile up, if you would. If you are one who is known, there, there have been many times where I'm thinking of some of the, the figures in, in, our, in our Hollywood or whatever the case might be that have taken a stance at certain times for Christ, and some of them are Christians, and have said, hey, we will not do this, we will not say this, we will not act this way. And I was just talking to uh, an individual this morning in our Sunday school class that the cancel culture that had come up was trying to, if you would, cancel certain individuals that were taking that stand. We've now seen that the cancel culture has backfired, and they're trying to cancel each other. Because it has is, it is backfired on themselves and, and some of the things that we are seeing in our world today. But those who take a stand for Christ, you'll find that enemies begin to pile up at times. You get on social media, man, I have seen it, where there will be someone who is, again, one of these higher uh, influence individuals, an actor or uh, someone who is, uh, you know, uh, an individual with great respect of persons, and they will say something about the Lord trying to be uh, an encouragement. And man, you ever just scroll through people's comments? Man, the hate that is in our world today. The enemies that begin to pile up and you begin to see people that are saying things and you just wonder, how could someone say such a thing? And David is seeing this right before his eyes as the enemies are piling up, if you would. But he goes on and he begins to see not only is that his enemies are increasing, but he says this in verse number one, he says, many are they that rise up against me. And in verse number one, as you back up that word trouble, he is talking about the increase not only of enemies, but the increase of trouble. Man, David, his heart is troubled because of this. The troubles that are being brought to his attention, all of these things are increasing, if you would. And then it gets worse. Verse number two, it says this, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. Now, we understand this, and David no doubt knew this as well. This was an opinion. This wasn't fact. This was opinions. 
But you've been there before whenever you were going through something and there was someone who is that one individual who maybe was, uh, maybe they were an atheist. And maybe they're an agnostic. Maybe they were just a, a critical uh, individual and they didn't know what they believed. But nonetheless, they might make a statement along those lines. Where is your God now? Uh, what, what about this God that you worship on Sundays and on Wednesdays and this God that you talk about? Where is he now? He's not there for you. And this is what David is facing in verse number two as it says, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. That statement is found all throughout the majority crowds in our world today. Long before we come to 2022, there's always been the critical people. There's always been those who hated God and hated everything about God and hated Christians and all of that taking place. There have always been a majority crowd that has been saying negative things like this. You find it in Scripture. In Scripture, the Bible talks about this. In verse number 1 of Psalm 14, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I mean, you go to certain parts of the country. I mean, we're lucky. We're fortunate. We live in the Bible Belt. I mean, most people, if you begin to talk about the Lord, even if they don't believe just because they're in the Bible Belt, they'll just go along with it for a few minutes just to get you off their back. You don't see that in a lot of places in our nation. And there are some parts of our nation where if you were to say anything about God, then someone begins to curse you out. Someone begins to just flat out be hateful to you. That's not something that is common just nationwide. And we're fortunate for that. Psalm 14, 1, though, reminds us that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The majority crowd also believes that, hey, God's way is not the best way. There's always a better way. What do you mean? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Individuals believe that, hey, you don't need this God that you're speaking of. There's a better way. No, if it wasn't for God, there is no way. That's the truth of the matter. And that's a, a daily truth as well. We need the Lord in our lives. The majority crowd says, hey, you don't have to worry. You, you ever, you ever, Miss Kelly, this is one of her, her uh, if you just want to uh, kind of get under her skin, she won't, you wouldn't know she's, you're going to get under her skin, but I, I know it gets under her skin. If we're trying to figure something out, how many, else, how many others hate this statement? It is what it is. Anyone else hate that statement? Ms. Kelly cannot stand that statement. So sometimes she'll, we'll, we'll be trying to figure out, I'll just say, it is what it is, <laughs> just to get under her skin. It is what it is. It'll work out. It's fine. The world says in many ways, hey, it is what it is. It'll all work out. I remember knocking on a gentleman's door, and he was going on another deployment. I can't remember how many deployments that he had gone on, but he had gone on multiple deployments, and each deployment he tried different religions is what he said. And he'd come to this conclusion that everyone's going to end up in the same place in different ways. We'll just figure it out. And I said, oh, the confusion. The sadness in that statement alone. Isaiah chapter number 29 verse 15 says, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark and they say, Who seeth us and who knoweth us? The, 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 those who are uh, critical and those who are, are wicked, those who are vile, those who don't believe, believe that, hey, it's not a big deal. No one's going to care. No, the, the Bible says right at the end of that verse, Who seeth us and knoweth us? The Lord sees all those things. I, I remember... 
we had to take a, a homiletics class and we had to develop messages, if you would, and you submit those messages and the teacher would go through and, and tell you what, what needed to be worked out, what kinks needed to be worked out and what needed to be uh, done better. And then you'd, you would preach that message. And I remember preaching a message. I preached it here. The message was the 11th hour. And the world we're living in has many people that are saying you have plenty of time to make that decision of eternity. But Scripture tells us otherwise. Scripture tells us that that's not the case. Scripture tells us that we don't know what tomorrow holds. There are many people, though, that believe that, hey, it'll all work out. Hey, we have plenty of time. The world also tells us that the the successful people are the greatest. Luke chapter 9 actually deals with this. Those who are successful are the greatest. Well, let me ask you a question. What defines success in the Christian life? I want you to think on that as you go home tonight. How, do you, how would you define a successful Christian life? Many people will define it by what they see. Many people will define it by the, the, the many Sundays that someone served or the many ministries that they worked in or the many things that they did or whatever the case might be. And I would submit to you some of the greatest Christians that I have ever met in my life, some of the greatest Christians that that have what I would consider to be a successful Christian life, weren't the ones that were always in front starting ministries. They weren't the ones that were, were out in front serving in certain ministries or doing this or that. They were just ones that understood the reality of the importance of a personal relationship with the Lord. Man, they labored in prayer. They, they, they labored in having a personal relationship with the Lord. Some of the greatest people that have ever had an influence on me were people that you, if you were to see them, you'd say, they just don't look like much. You know why? Because they're so humble, they don't care to look like much. Now, they're just a servant of the Lord that wanted to be used. But the world tells us the successful are the greatest. Those who are also confused believe that God would never send anyone to hell. Truth of the matter is, God doesn't desire to send anyone to hell. He sent his only son to die for the world. But when you and I have that free choice, that decision that we have to make, are you going to accept him or not? And so we come and we see this statement right here in verse number two. Many are there, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. See, the David's trial was one that not only did he see the things that were taking place, but man, he had to hear it as well. It was as though if you were to relate for just a moment, you ever... Uh, been working on a project and you goofed on the project. Maybe a, let, let's relate it to a husband or wife situation here. The husband is working on something. <clears throat> Some of you, there's no hope because I said husband and wife, and I just don't know if you're ever going to get married. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but that husband, he's laboring on something. Or you could do the wife. Either of them were working on something, and they they mess up. Um. They either, if, if a man is, if he's making a table and he cuts the angle wrong and it doesn't quite fit, if the, if the lady is, is, you know, she's, she's painting a piece of furniture and she just, man, she just messes it up. And you see the mistake, you know the mistake, and that, that spouse walks in, that husband walks in and he says, what'd you do? How'd you do that? That looks terrible. And, and what do you say? I know. I, I know, okay? You don't have to point it out. The husband is working and the, the wife walks in and she says, well, why'd you cut it that way? And you're sitting there thinking, I didn't mean to, all right? I messed up. David here, if you're trying to relate to what's taking place, not only does he see what's going on, 
He knows what's facing him. But now he's got to hear about it. Now he's got to hear, hey, there is no help from God. I mean, you think about in the Christian life sometimes the, the, the world and those who hate God want to let the Christian know when they think God has failed. But it's a perfect opportunity for us to stop them and say, hey, 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 God hasn't failed. It just wasn't what you expected. Hey, God's ways are different. He works on different terms. His ways are not our ways. And so we see David's trial. Number two, we see David's trust. In verse number three, he says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. David, in verse number 3, you begin to see him shifting his, his train of thought, if you would. You begin to shift his, his thought process or his personality begins to, to, to no longer, uh, or not his personality, but his, his focus begins to no longer be on the, the enemy and what he's hearing. But now he shifts gears and he now goes from uh, being fearful of what's going on to now putting his trust in the Lord and acknowledging his faith in the Lord itself. The Bible says, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. Uh, what, a, what a difference of, of transitional thought, if you would. In verse number 1, he says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are there be which say of my soul, there is no help from God. Selah. But thou, O Lord. But thou, O Lord. Thou art a shield for me, my glory in the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. What a, what a difference. Verses 1 and 2 compared to verses 3 and 4. Verses 1 and 2, you begin to see the despair. You begin to see the, the, the discernment, I mean, the, 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 the distress and, and all of what he's facing. And in verses 3 and 4, you begin to see him saying, hey, everything's fine. The Lord is in control. The Lord is my help. The Lord is there. He's a shield for me. And so what began to take place, if you would? We made reference to this in verse number uh, 8, uh, I believe, or verse number 6 uh, of Psalm 63 when it says that he remembered. Notice a couple of things that he remembers, if you would, and that we ought to remember. In verse number 3, he says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. What are some things that we can remember that would help us when it comes to these situations. When we find ourselves in the midst of a trial, but we're desiring to trust the Lord. What are some things we can remember? Remember that God's help is, was in the past and it's also in the present. That statement, shield for me, is an all-encompassing thing. The Lord isn't just a shield for you in times of trouble. He's a shield for you at all times. He desires for you to acknowledge that, that the Lord is always present in those times. But as David remembered his past times in which the Lord was a shield, he was reminded that in the, even in the present, God was a shield for me. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. Not only did he remember God's help in times past and also for the, for the present, but he remembered God's glory and his love. In verse number 3, it says, My glory. That word or that statement, my glory, speaks of God's love for his people. It speaks of such a way that it's covering his people. His love. Picture with me for just a moment a, a child that is, I've seen videos uh, where a, a car was coming and a, a dad grabbed that child and laid on top of that child. What was he trying? He was trying to cover him. Uh, there's times whenever <clears throat> Holly will get into one of her emotional fits is what I will label it, label it as. Where she wakes up and she wakes up and she's just emotional the entire time. And you're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. 
Jackson, he just wakes up and he's like looking at you confused, you know. He, he figures it out after a few minutes. Holly, she just don't get over it. And there are times whenever it might be raining and she is all girl if there was ever all girl. And she, does, she, she don't want her hair messed up. Or she doesn't want something to get on her outfit. And so what do you have to do? You've got to cover her as you're walking in the car. Sometimes we just don't have time. I'm going to say, get over it. we got to go, all right? Get in the car. You'll, you don't have anyone to impress anyways. You're three years old. You're cute no matter what it is. And so, but that, that picturing of the covering up, if you would, protective care, God's love for us. But he goes on and he says this. In the lifter up of mine head. And that lifter up, he remembered God's power, if you would. I think in our day and age, we love to talk about what God has done in the past, but we're not willing to see God do it in the present. You see, we love to talk about the many times in which churches and people and individuals, Adoniram Judson, uh, you even think of some of the modern-day heroes of the faith and individuals that we will read about or we will talk about and some of the things that they had done and the hours that they labored in prayer or the, the times in which they just were, were going to serve God and didn't care what the world had to say. And we love to talk about those things. But the truth of the matter was they didn't bring anything to the table other than a yielded individual. It was the power of God solely that did the work. And as you come to this portion of scripture right here, David is reminding us of that as he says, In the lifter up of mine head, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. This trust, if you would, is one that David, as he's crying out, and it's something that we ought to do. In verse number four, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Can I encourage you when you cry out to God, expect God to hear you. Don't wonder if he's going to hear you. Expect him to hear you and, and get right with the Lord and desire that God would work on your behalf. Don't just wonder if it's going to happen. You know, we, we go back to a couple of years ago when we were challenged to pray, but not just to pray, but to pray in faith. Don't pray in disbelief and, and pray in such a way where you're praying and after that prayer you begin to say, oh, uh, we'll see if it happens. Uh, you sure were just saying some pretty words then just a minute ago. No, pray in faith and believe that God is going to do that work. And he says, verse number four, I cried unto the Lord my voice. That crying out, if you were to go and you were to study out the crying in Scripture, in James 5.16, the Bible reminds us of praying fervently, if you would, and crying out fervently. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The crying out wholeheartedly in Psalm 119, verse 145, I cried with my whole heart, Hear me, O Lord, I will keep thy statutes. To cry, to cry continually unto the Lord, Psalm 55, 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. One of the things that you, we all go through seasons of, of things that are on our mind. Whether it's seasons of, of you're just thinking on a subject in Scripture that has caught your attention, whether it's you're, th you're thinking on an individual that you're studying. And the Lord begins to remind me often that I need to pray for tears. Because tears oftentimes, as you go and you study Scripture, represent in Scripture... A tenderness, if you would. And one of the things that I pray never takes place in my own life, and I encourage you to pray this way, is that you never get 
cold towards the Word of God in such a way that tears never are shed any longer. When a soul trusts Christ as their personal Savior, tears of rejoicing ought to be streaming down our faces. When an individual who we've been praying for to be healed or or to, to be brought back to the fold or whatever the case might be, We hear that answer prayer. We see it right before our eyes. Tears ought to stream down our face. When you begin to pray because a burden is so heavy and you begin to pray in such a way that you ask God to to, to strengthen you and to help you, tears represent you crying unto the Lord because, hey, you just are so desirous and so fervent in prayer about that one situation that you say, God, I need you to answer this. Tears. We as a church, not as Gateway Baptist, as the church, God's people, we have lost our tears. Uh, you, you go and you look at certain uh, pictures of, of times past of, of pictures of churches back in the day, and you just see on the altar just what, I mean, just spots where tears were just all over that altar. You go and you begin to see where there were times when people would just sit there and cry. You go and you listen to the, one of the most famous messages ever uh, preached. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. You ever read the, the story and the, the background of that as far as what they, they say took place? I mean, he's, he is monotone. You say, well, I thought preachers had to be boisterous and, and, and running around. No, no, no. Again, re, let me remind you, it's not the preacher, it's the power of the Word of God. And he stood behind the pulpit and he began to preach what the Word of God had to say. And it was described as people coming to this this altar and just weeping, and you could hear the people weeping. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And in verse number 4, he says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me. Out of his holy hill, Selah. Notice when we finally we see this, the triumph of David, if you would. Verse number 5, he says, I laid me down and slept. I awakened, or I waked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me. That statement right there, save me, speaks of deliverance, if you would. In verse number 8, it starts out, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Again, that word salvation speaks of deliverance. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. If you were to go and you were to begin to describe the triumph that David is feeling, it's a, a peace triumph, if you would. It starts out in verses 1 and 2 as David is acknowledging his trouble, the trial that he's facing, the difficulty that he is facing, the the discouragement that he is facing. And he asks that question and he says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul there is no help for for him in God. But then his thinking begins to change. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. In verse number 5, I laid me down and slept. The Lord sustained me at the end of verse 5. Verse number 6, I will not be afraid. Well, why not? Arise, O Lord, verse 7, save me. Verse number 8, salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. God, in this exact moment, provided some things for David that we too can experience. He provided rest. Spiritual rest is just as, just as important as physical rest. Making sure that you take care of yourself spiritually. As we dealt with in the leadership, or the leadership meeting a couple of weeks ago, you can only minister to others if you are healthy. 
Sometimes we try to minister to people and we are unhealthy ourselves. And when you're unhealthy spiritually, you're not ministering to others. You're also hurting them and you're hurting yourself. He provided rest. It says in verse number five, I laid me down and slept. I waked for the Lord sustained me. That statement speaks of rest. He provided strength. In verse number five, it says right here, for the Lord sustained me. That statement, the Lord sustained me, speaks of that strength that was provided. He was providing courage. In verse number six, it says, I will not be afraid. That courage was found through the Lord as he begins to remind himself in verses 3 and 4 of who his God is, what his God is capable of. In verse number 7, he is given victory, if you would, providing that victory. In verse number 7, it says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Man, victory come. And then verse number 8, provided salvation, that deliverance. Man, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. In this psalm right here, we see that David faced a trial. We all face trials. You might be in a trial. And you might have just come out of a trial. In this exact psalm right here, we see that David, instead of focusing on the trial, began to shift his thinking and he began to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you no matter what. Why? Because he's a shield for me. He's my glory. He's the lifter up of my head. And why else? Because I can cry out unto him. And then we see his triumph. And I believe every single one of us this evening desire to see the latter part of this. Every single one of us want to experience the triumph. But it goes back to what we dealt with about a year and a half ago or so. Sometimes we forget that from the prayer offered and the prayer answered, that right here in the midst is when God is working. Right here is the hardest part. This is the waiting period. This is the trying to figure it out period. This is the, Lord, what are you doing, period. We want to hear the answer after we offer it. We want to we pray and then immediately experience the answer. But sometimes God says, oh, I've got something for you right now in the midst of it. And so let me deal with you and shape you and form you and work on you and, and begin to shape you and bring you to the place that I would have for you to be, and then I'll offer the answer. It'll come in my time. And so in this psalm right here, we see that David was not willing to reflect and only think on his trial, but he shifted the thinking to, Lord, I'm going to trust in you, and I'm going to triumph in you. But I want you to notice this. Go with me to verse number 5, 6, 7, and 8 again. In verse number 6, he says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me. Round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. David, as he is making this statement, he is reminding us that, hey, before the answer ever comes, I'm still a victor. Before the answer ever comes, Lord, I can still find joy in you. I can still rejoice in you. I can still rejoice in the simple fact that I'm a victor. As he says right here, I will not be afraid. He still hasn't experienced all the victory that is coming his way. But he is willing to say, regardless, Lord, I'm still triumphing. Can I share with you, as a child of God, even on your worst of days, you can still triumph. You might be going through it right now, but you are still a victor. Praise the Lord for it. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness tonight. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. I pray that you would be with our church. We thank you for the visitors. Lord, there are many, many burdens
not just in our church, folks all across this nation, some that watch on live stream, some that are, uh, Lord, family members of ours and friends of ours and co-workers, no doubt, that are just, man, they're going through it. And Lord, maybe they need encouragement. Maybe there's someone here tonight, Lord, who is facing a trial, and instead of focusing on the trial, Lord, they need to get their eyes off the trial and get their eyes on you, to trust in you and to triumph in you. I pray that you would, Lord, use your word to help us and encourage us. Lord, if there's one here that just needs to find themselves the altar and give it to you, I pray that they'd do that. Maybe they need to find themselves the altar and just spend some time in prayer and thank you or rejoice in you. I don't know what the situation is, but I pray that we'd all leave encouraged by the word of God this evening. We'll thank you for it. Guide us now. Use this invitation the way you see fit. We'll thank you for that as well. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.